0: My guest on the show today is William Crossland, President and CEO of Thermal Energy International, Inc. It's a publicly traded company. The symbols are TMG on the TSX Venture and TMGEF on the OTCQB. Thermal Energy International, Inc. provides energy efficiency and emissions reduction solutions to Fortune 500 and other large multinational companies. The company's value proposition is to help save their customers money by reducing their fuel use and cutting their carbon emissions. Thermal Energy's proprietary and proven solutions can recover up to 80% of energy lost in typical boiler plant and steam system operations while delivering a high return on investment with a short, compelling payback, according to the company's website. As William jokes in the interview, uh, Thermal Energy is a 20-year overnight success story. Uh, When he joined the company and took over as CEO in 2009, William's focus was turning a profit where just before the pandemic was able to accomplish that uh, 30% compounded annual growth rate and 25 million in revenues. While the pandemic was difficult for all of us, the company had to fight through a challenging environment, which we discuss in the interview, but has since started reporting in the last few months more projects and orders coming in. For example, since recording the interview, Thermal Energy announced a, and I quote here, $3.7 million heat recovery order from one of Europe's largest food and drink producers, end quote, which they put out on December 7th, 2023. In this interview, we also discuss how Thermal Energy works with their multinational client base, their full suite of solutions, and William's three- to five-year vision for the company. With that, please enjoy my conversation with William Crossland, President and CEO of Thermal Energy
1: International, Inc.
0: William, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing?
1: Hello, Robert. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Absolutely. So from here on out, though, I'm going to call you Bill. All right? Okay. We, we we established okay. the rules ahead of
1: time. That's right. Yeah, and I'm calling you Bob. That's, you know... <laughs>
0: Very cool. All right. I appreciate that. Well, you know, the reason I invited you on today, you know, in recent months, the company has seen, you know, a little uh, a little bit of momentum in, you know, not just the stock, but also the company itself, uh, which usually justifies why there's some momentum in the stock. Um, and, you know, I wanted to better understand what's going on in the company since we last spoke, I think, back in 2021 or something, or maybe yeah. early 2022, something like that. So, you know, to start us off, this is my first question I ask everybody on here. You know, what would you say is that one line that best describes Thermal Energy International?
1: So, so thermal energy is a proven, profitable, clean tech company that provides bespoke and proprietary energy efficiency and emission reduction solutions to large multinationals. We like to say we're the profitable profitable path to net zero, and that means we're profitable and we make our customers more profitable because we improve uh, their bottom line by reducing their fuel use and reducing their carbon emissions.
0: All right, Bill. So then, thank you for that. For that. Nice encapsulation there. The one, a couple lines. Yeah, it was a couple lines. Um, so let, let's take a look back at the the thermal energy history. You know, when was the company originally founded, and what was the thesis for its founding?
1: So the company was originally founded back in the nineties, the early nineties, actually, and and it was founded by the inventor of one of our primary technologies, a fluase, which is a, a heat recovery technology. Um, and it operated for many years sort of with the Fluace, but largely as an R&D company almost. I mean, they had that technology and it worked, but they were looking for other ways to to try and tweak it and find other applications and other things it could use. And so for the first 15 years of its existence, it lost money every single year. And the company was continually going back to the capital markets and, you know, raising more money to fund the losses. I found out about the company, you know, way back in 2007, um, so a long time ago now, but I love the technology. I thought this is a great technology and, and it's proven. Um, and I said, look, we don't need to, you know, find another application. We've got a great application. We know it works. We've got sites that are installed. Let's just focus on selling it. Um, and so I took over, uh, as CEO in 2009, the prior five years before that, the company had lost between two and $3 million every single year. And I said, that's it. We're, we're going to turn make this company profitable. We're not going to raise capital again uh, unless it's for an accretive acquisition. We're not going to fund losses. And we grew the company from about a million dollars in revenue uh, in in 2007 when I joined the board and invested in the company to right up just before the pandemic of $25 million in revenue. So just before the pandemic, we had 30% compound annual growth rate, $25 million in revenue, $3 million in EBITDA, and almost $2 million in net after-tax net income. So so we were profitable and we are growing well. Um, Then the pandemic was difficult uh, because, you know, a lot of what we do requires a lot of travel, a lot of site visits. So a lot of our customers and and most of our customers are major multinational custom companies. A lot of them were so focused on the pandemic and how to try to deal with it. They weren't that interested in energy efficiency. We knew the market would come back eventually. So we didn't scale down. We didn't reduce staff. We were profitable through most of the pandemic, but revenues were much lower. Um, and, uh, we knew the market would come back and now the market is coming back and we wanted to be ready to hit the ground running and we were. So just over the last, uh, you know, 12 months, our order intake is a hundred percent higher than it was the, you know, at this time, uh, last year for the 12 months. Um, the number of projects we're developing for customers is a hundred percent higher than it was sort of a, at this time last year. So, so that's the momentum that you talked about a bit, Bob, um, you know, and, and we've had a good. The last few months, we've had some some good orders uh, that have been announced, and we've seen some good momentum in the business and in the stock.
0: Absolutely. So, we'll, And we'll get into all that in a second, but I want to now take a couple minutes here for those that aren't familiar with your actual products. Can you describe them a little bit, how you work with multinationals, and just the kind of the full suite of services to better understand how you're helping these companies be, become more energy efficient?
1: Yes, absolutely. So. Uh, first of all, I mentioned the company, the Genesis. So your question was the history. It started with the flue, so that was the first technology. Since then, we've added to the suite. We now have ten complementary technologies that all—all all ten of which deal with thermal energy efficiency at the industrial level. When I say thermal, I'm talking about heat, um, and so it's good to to for uh, you know people to understand because often when people hear about energy efficiency, they think electricity. And in a residential side or a commercial side, about 50% of the energy is electricity. But on an industrial side, 10% is electricity. 90% of the energy they use is thermal energy. So it's usually a fuel that they're burning. could be biomass, but more often than not, it's natural gas. And so we help them save energy on that 90% that um, uh, that they're that is coming from thermal energy. They're only about, on average, about 50% efficient. Um, and by using all of our technologies in a bespoke uh, project, we can get it up to 90% efficient you know we can save uh 8 90% of that uh, of that 40 80% of that 40 and um and so that's basically what we do but we you said how do we deal with our customers everything we do i mentioned is sort of bespoke it's a project we're not we're not bid to spec generally 90% of our business we're working on a sole source basis with our customers in partnership with our customers to deliver a project that meets their both their investment re, uh, hurdle rates and meets their uh, carbon emission reduction targets
0: Absolutely. And how would you say your suite of services that are helping these companies reduce their, their thermal energy or uh, becoming more thermal energy efficient? How are they unique and different compared to some of your peers that are also out there? I would imagine there you have you have competition, right?
1: Well, you know, what is competition? I say sometimes I get in trouble and I say we don't have competition. We don't have competition to the extent we don't very often directly compete with anybody because we're working on a sole source basis. Is there other companies out there that might have something similar to us? there's always somebody that's got some, the next, what's the next closest thing to the technology. And there is a few companies out there that have some of our technologies, but they're all, they all usually only have one technology. And the other thing that they, that we haven't found anybody that does yet that has the unique capability to engineer and implement projects with proprietary technologies. So the usual way, Uh, these products are sold is just a piece of equipment and then you got to find the engineering to sort of develop the project you got to find the contractor to install it what we do that's different and we haven't found anybody else that does it is number one have the whole suite of technologies we don't know anybody else that has the whole suite of technologies that we have and number two the ability to do a total turnkey project so to deliver to the customer a fixed price with guaranteed savings Uh, we don't know anybody else that that does that the, the customer's alternative is if usually when we're pitching them, they're not aware of the technology, so they're not out there looking for it. Like I said, it's not bid to spec. We come to them with the solution, and their alternative is either work with us or they can hire an engineering company to try and develop the project, then try and source the equipment, then find a contractor to install it. Multiple points of contact, multiple points of responsibility. We wrap that all up with a single point of responsibility. That's why they love us, right? We get at the end of the day, we get projects done quickly and efficiently. So we'll have the project installed by the time they could have it sort of developed by somebody else.
0: Absolutely. So, can you go through the business model a little bit? So, is it you do project based and then is there a recurring, you know, where, you know, something for uh, maintenance or something like that? Or is it yeah. project based and then like, all right, next project?
1: Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, you know, that's sort of one of the challenges maybe with the business. It is project based. Um, You know, some investors have said, well, geez, why did you make the equipment so well? Can't you have it break down a little bit more frequently? But, you know, it is they are, you know, solid, you know, stainless steel, they, you know, one of the advantages we bring is is uh, reliability. So unfortunately, we do some maintenance, you know, we'll come, some customers will have us come, you know, once a year to sort of tune it up, make sure it's still running. But if we do say a million dollar project, the maintenance on that project would be sort of $10,000 a year. So it's a, it's a service we offer, but it's, it's not the main part of it. Um, but we do have what we call Reoccurring, so it's not recurring revenue it's reoccurring revenue and that's really projects so we focus on very large multinational companies strategically that's our intention number one because it's the very large multinational companies that tend to have the very large sites that use a lot of energy so we want to go to as big a site as possible if we can save them you know, 20% of their energy bill, we want that energy bill to be as big as possible because the project will be as big as possible. So there, it's the large multinationals that tend to have the very large salts and they have hundreds of sites around the world. So as an example, you know, our top 10 customers have a thousand sites around the world, um, you know, and so our goal is to move from site to site and do multiple projects for, this, for the same customer.
0: I was just going to say like that, you kind of just gave a, a nice kind of, I guess you say snapshot as to what the total addressable market is. Cause even if it's project to project, it sounds like, all right, maybe project to project, but you know, I got one multinationals. you know, like you just said, thousands of sites. Right. So, I mean, talk about the pipe. I mean that I I know on your website, you have, you know, various verticals that you are focused on, but I mean, it seems like the opera, all the different opportunities out there, it's kind of endless, you know, I mean, all the (laughs) industrial sites, all that kind of stuff.
1: It 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 is. I mean the addressable market is a ridiculous number because it's basically almost every industry. I don't even uh, want to ask
0: because I know it's gonna be a <laughs> it's, crazy it's, billing, a, it's right? gonna be billions yeah. and billions yeah. and billions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: so our, our existing customers, you know, we, we talk about the top ten customers, sixty percent of our revenue over the last five years has come from our top ten customers. Um we've probably only done five percent penetrated with even with those customers. Um it, it's it's a it's a huge number because as I said, industry, you know. Represents about a third of the energy used in the economy, and industry is and ninety percent of that energy that the industry is using is thermal, and they're only using it at fifty percent efficiency. So, um, but it isn't every industry. I mean, it's almost every industry that works for us. But the challenge, you know, for us is is if energy is lost somewhere in the system, it's because of heat. You know, they're losing heat somewhere. You know, that's what energy can either do work or it can be you know heat. So they're losing heat somewhere. So what we do is help them lose less heat. But sometimes when you're doing a heat recovery, you got to find where are they losing heat and where can they use that heat. Where's the heat source? Where's the heat sink? Where are we going to put that heat? And that's really what we do. We wrap that all up. So often what the limiting factor is, is they're wasting a lot more than they can actually use. So there's some industries, as an example, um, even though they are very energy intensive, they aren't as uh, as great for us. It's things like steel or cement, both using enormous amounts of energy, but they have nothing to use that waste heat for. The industries that are great for us is basically every other if almost every other industry but a lot of food and beverage when you think about it food has a need food and beverage has a need for heat to cook to sterilize to clean to wash so food and beverage is a big sector for us Pharmaceuticals is a big sector for us um you know tires are a big sector Rub, plastic and rubber is a big sector they have heat and they have a need for a use for that heat uh some some hospitals and universities big sites have a need for heat so it's it's not every industry, but it's almost every industry um, that uh, that could use our services.
0: I gotta ask. I mean, you mentioned you know when we think about the competitive landscape and whatnot. You know, how there isn't a direct pe- competitor, but it's more it's mostly because there isn't anyone else that's doing <clears throat> kind of the full suite of both providing the uh, the product as well as then implementing it you know, making sure it's working properly, you know, you have the engineering expertise to, to, you know, put it together. It makes sense why a customer would want that. Like, all right, I just have to go to you. You give me everything good. Why isn't there other, you know, larger or just any other companies in general doing that same kind of model? How come it's, how come it is just you? That seems confusing when you talk (laughs) about the market opportunity.
1: uh, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe I think that will evolve. I think there will be more companies getting into this space and that's part of our, you know, our long-term goal. I think we, you know, we basically acquire or be acquired uh, type model. I think there's going to be a lot more um, and uh, in the industrial sector, there is interestingly in the institutional side, in the government side, you have ESCOs, you have, you know, ESCOs that will put these projects together. And then sort of finance it. But on the industrial side, the ESCO model doesn't really work because the industrials usually want to do the projects themselves or have someone do the project for them. They're not wanting to outsource the whole amount. But I think where we will see more and more of that, uh, you know, come along because, you know, our industrial customers will tell us, um, you know, they have very aggressive carbon emission reduction targets. You know, we do a lot of food and beverage, a lot of pharmaceutical. They're selling to the end user. They've advertised it to their customers. They've advertised their carbon emission reduction to their shareholders. They have to meet those goals. And electric- they will also tell us that the electricity side is quite easy. You know, they can buy green electricity off the grid. But the thermal side is much more challenging. And that's 90% of their of their load. So they have a challenge there. And we're helping them address that. And and so that's why we're seeing the, you know, the the, the, the great growth right now. Uh, in orders now that they're very interested in meeting those carbon emission reduction goals, you know most people have a sort of a twenty thirty goal, and then either a twenty forty or twenty fifty goal. You know, twenty thirty is uh, is getting close. They only have you know six more years before they hit twenty thirty, so they they're wanting to move quickly, and and we are the fastest and easiest way for them to get those projects done.
0: I mean, I have so many different rabbit holes to go down here because I mean. You know, it seems like, I mean, look, Thermal Energy, we're recording this on December 5th, 2023, you know, despite there, you know, being momentum in the company and, you know, more orders, the backlog, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is that what, about 40 million, right?
1: Uh, 22. No, 22. 22. It was 22 at the end of our first quarter. I
0: I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm reading it right here. Yes, you're right. So the backlog is 22 million. You know, it just seemed, I'm confused, right? Like, the, don't, I'm sure you get this a lot from other investors. Like, what, you know, there's clearly a mandate out there from industrial, food, and like all these different industries that need to <laughs> just reduce carbon emissions. And like, I would think, uh, help me. I, I'm, I'm, you know, like, cause, you know, cause I'm, I, on one hand, it's like the backlog is great, right? Like, I mean, 22 million, that's nothing to sniff at, but you would think, like, all right. Everyone's jumping on board. Is it because they see, like, all right, thermal energy? Like, okay, they've been in this for a while, but you know, smaller company. We want to make sure that they can handle the capacity. Like, how, catch me up, you know.
1: Yeah. So it's it's you, you know what I'm saying. The the challenge is, it, it, listen. It's an advantage that we can provide these bespoke, customized, total turnkey projects. The disadvantage is every site is different. And so, you know, we have to find the heat source. We have to find the heat sink. And how close the heat source and the heat sinks are, that can affect the profitability of the project quite significantly. You know, if they're very close, that's cheap. If they're a long way away, that's more expensive. So so even when we have, you know, our, our model with a lot of our uh, industrial companies is we'll go to a site and we'll, we'll, we'll get the heat from a certain application. Then we'll say, okay, what other sites do you have that have that application? We still have to develop the projects at each individual site Um, So every site is a little bit different in the layout. Every site's a little bit different in terms of their fuel cost. So, you know, even though they know it works, it still takes time to develop those sites and find the next best site. Um, And that's why the, you know, the thermal energy part is, is a little bit more challenging, Uh, but that's, you know, we're playing into that. That's, that's to our benefit because we have the expertise. So, so we, we are ramping it up, but we have seen that. I mean, that's part of our growth strategy going forward as well is that, um, historically, and this is probably, you know, maybe four or five years ago, we would sell, you know, a big site in North America, and we would go to another site in Europe with the same company. And they would say, Oh, yeah, but our steam is different, our site is different, and we'd have to start selling over and over again at the site level. And the site made the decisions. And it was out of the site's budget that the project came more and more what we're seeing now is it's not out of the site budget because at the corporate level, they have carbon emission reduction targets that they have to meet. So they've allocated budget at the corporate level. And now we still have to sell a little, we still have to convince the site that it's going to work, but now you've got the corporate guy saying, let's do a project and he's providing the money. And so that speeds it up a little bit. So last year for the first time, first time ever, uh, and this was for our gem technology, which is, you know, uh, which is, which is a steam trap typically, you know the gem the gem orders are you know anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred thousand dollars per order because it's a little bit simpler application than say the fluase we got an order we've got to, on two different cases and we got an order last fall uh for 27 sites all at once um and so again that I, you can't do that without the coordination at the corporate level saying okay this is a technology we want to get behind and where are the sites to do it and Uh, You know, and then roll it out. And then we got another site, um, another order from a different company, and I think it was 12 different sites. So that's, that's what we're trying to push going forward. We're trying to accelerate, um, you know, those sites so that we don't have to, you know, do one site, and then wait for it to start up and then go to the next site and start pitching them. We want to just, we want to accelerate that sales cycle as best we can by operating at the corporate level and finding corporate champions.
0: Absolutely, I think that answered my question pretty much right there. Because, like, I mean, it's also one of your barriers to entry. I would argue, right, is that you know you come in with the experience. You know, maybe there might be a startup that would want to come in and do this, but they don't realize that, like, okay, each site is different. You know, you got to find the source of the heat. And I mean, what does the ideal heat source look like on any given site? Where you are like, ah, all right, cha-ching! This this, this is a, this is a good one.
1: Yeah, heat is heat. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really. You know what matter. I'm saying, though, right? Like yeah. you said, like just more expensive th-
0: the source over there
1: versus okay yeah. it's over here. Well, it's anywhere. If if there's heat, they, they're using natural gas. So we, the perfect site is, uh, you know, somewhere that has a high natural gas cost. So that's part of our strategy is focusing a, more on Europe. Uh, it has been for the last couple of years, uh, but we focus, you know, focus more on Europe because the energy prices are two or three times higher and their carbon emission reductions are that much more aggressive. Um, having said that, North America continues to grow just as it, you know, to keep pace with, with Europe. But but the ideal site is where there's lots of heat source. There's always lots of heat source where there's lots of heat sink. Uh, so where can they use that? And, and they have a high energy cost because then we can do a nice big project with a nice, you know, fast return on it. Uh, return on investment, strong return on investment for our customer, save them lots of energy. Um, but the heat sources, often it's a natural gas fired boiler, but it could also be an oven or it could be a dryer. Again, ovens, dryers, that's why you sort of get into the food and beverage side. But but most of our projects are often a, a natural gas fired boiler or or a you know biomass fired boiler. Got
0: it. So 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 not to jump around a little bit, but you know, we talked a little you talked you mentioned how, you know, right before COVID, you know you, the company was performing as it was I think you said you know for that fiscal year 25 million and then all back and then covid happened and then you know now your things are, what would you say was the inflection point that resulted then in the return of some demand post covid for thermal
1: energy yeah so it was, it was really interesting um because we sell our projects, you know, we have technologies, we have 10 different technologies, and we sell those solutions two different ways. One is a turnkey project, and that's, you know, pre-COVID, that was the main way we did it. So that was about 70% of our revenue. But the other 30% was smaller, simpler projects where the customer just wanted the technology, they would usually install it themselves. Because there isn't, you know, every project the isn't a heat recovery. So the steam traps stop them from losing heat. So those ones tend to be easier to install. So we call it custom equipment, turnkey solutions. So pre-COVID, when we had $25 million in revenue, uh, 70% of it was turnkey, 30% was custom equipment. What happened during um, during the pandemic is the custom equipment doesn't require the same level of site visits, doesn't require our site our presence on site as much, doesn't require as much travel. So we had grown at about 30% compounded annually right to the pandemic. Throughout the pandemic, the custom equipment side continued to grow at 30%. But the turnkey fell off a cliff. It basically dried up to zero for a little while because we were ordered off-site. Even projects that were midway through implementation, we were ordered off-site for those first sort of six months of the pandemic. And any other big projects uh, that we were developing, you sort of have to, if it gets stalled, you get. if a year or two goes by, you get to sort of have to start again from the beginning. Because those big turnkey projects are uh, usually developed with the customer under what we call a project development agreement. So the sales pitch, um, you know, the sales process sort of goes something like this. We'll go to the site. We know what types of site can use our services. We'll go to the site. After doing a little bit of analysis, we'll go back to them with a value proposition. We'll say, look, we think we can save you a million dollars on your fuel bill with a project, and the project will cost you $2 million. Is that something you'd like to do? They say, yeah, it sounds great. Two, you know, two or three-year payback would be perfect for us. And we say, well, that's not – we haven't done all the detailed engineering. That's not a fixed price, but I'll tell you what sign a project development agreement with us. We'll go away and do all the detailed engineering. And if we don't, uh, you know, if we come back to you with a project that meets your criteria, you know, and we agree on what the criteria is upfront, maybe it's a two-year payback, three-year payback, four-year payback, whatever it is, you have to do the project with us. That's a project development agreement. And so what we saw is, is the project development, the, the the turnkey projects dropped during the pandemic and stayed low. And then about a year and a half ago, the number of project development agreements that customers were signing was going up pretty significantly. So for the last 12 months ending in after our, our first quarter, um, project development agreements that we had signed with customers was a hundred percent higher than it was the previous 12 months and about 300% higher than it was a couple years earlier, two or three years earlier. So that's when we saw it building. We knew that those were going to come in, uh, in as, as turnkey solutions projects. Now, every project development agreement doesn't result in a project. Sometimes we miss the boat a little bit, um, but most of them do. And so that was really where we saw it. And that probably happened uh, about a year ago now, where we really saw the ramp up in project development agreements. And then um, you go back, you know, we turned profitable in third quarter last year. Uh, So that was um, the the quarter ending in February. Um, And then we've been profitable ever since. So that was the turning point, but, we the the where we saw the business coming back is when the orders started coming in, but we saw that ahead of time with the signing of project development agreements being at all time highs.
0: So, what's the historical project development agreement conversion rate?
1: Between fifty and seventy five percent. So,
0: I saw so. it. I saw that written out somewhere, but I wanted you to say
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's a little bit higher than that, but I don't want to be held to that number. So, it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's probably at the upper end of that range, but but. Um, but yeah, we, we don't do project development agreements, and I sell, tell the sales team this all the time. We're not selling project development agreements, even though we make a little bit of money on them. We don't want just a project development agreement. So it has to meet a th- the hurdle. We, we screen them. We only do project development agreements where we really think there's a valuable project there and that customer is going to do it. Um, so that's why most of them result in a project. Uh, on an average... About a year after, some are faster, some are slower, but on average, it's about twelve months after we sign the project development agreement, it will get uh, an order for the whole project.
0: Got it. So this might be a silly question, but I don't care. I like asking silly questions every once in a while. How is how is thermal energy not been scooped up or picked up in ESG circles? You know, I mean, I know maybe some folks don't really pay attention so much to ESG right now, but there are still folks that are. You know, so I mean thermal energy is kind of a I mean your company is kind of a uh, right there, right? Uh yeah. clean tech, all that. So I'm I'm just curious.
1: Well it's it's um when you think about it. I mentioned to you that the the history of the company um for many, many years was sort of overpromise, under deliver, all we con- continually had losses. Um so when I took over and, and I was a shareholder, I said we're not, A, we're not selling shares. We don't we're not gonna raise capital. So and I want to prove the story. So I don't want to really go out and start telling the story. Uh, so we kept if, until we had a good track record um, uh, to prove, to show to people. And so when did that happen? I talked about, the 12 months ending February 29, 2020, just before the pandemic, we had a 30% growth rate. So in January of 2020, I said, Okay, we got a great track record, we're profitable now, let's make sure people know about the story. So in January and February, we started a little bit of uh, more investor relations activity, January and February of 2020, a little bit more investor relations activity. And then you know what happened. So we cut that cost, because you know, to survive the pandemic, we had to, you know, cut all discretionary spending, and then we started up again I'm, I'm losing i'm losing track of the years now whenever whenever when omicron was was, was that 2021 we st- we did a little bit more in 2021 and then because uh, we thought we were coming out of the pandemic so. and omicron hit so we stopped it again and then we just started ramping it up again as i said when we saw the order starting to come in when we knew we were we were out of this and it was going to be uh you know we were going to be growing from here. So that was sort of June of this year uh, is really when we started ramping up our investor relations again. So I think, uh, you know, I think it's a lot of people don't know the story because we haven't quite frankly, you know, been out there telling the story uh, because, you know, we wanted to have a really good story to tell. Uh, And I believe we do now. So we're, we're, we're there for the long haul now. We don't think we're not, we're not looking back now. We're out there and we're, we're trying to make people more aware of the story because I think it's a great story.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at you. You're here talking to me, right? You know, uh... that's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So, you know, you kind of answered my question a little bit earlier about, you know, what in- investors maybe get confused about the most when, you know, maybe after having a one-on-one with <clears throat> you. But is there anything else maybe that we're missing? Maybe some other frequently asked questions that you get from investors now that you're kind of starting to do the dog and pony show again that maybe we can address here.
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, it's still you know, the business is becoming much less lumpy, but we're still a business with, you know, big projects. So we're running on an LTM basis, we're about $23 million in revenue now. We can do projects that are, you know, two, three, four million $4 million. So a big project can be a big chunk of revenue. And as a result, the results on a quarterly basis can be a little bit, a little bit lumpy. So you really got to look at the company on a longer term basis. And so I, you know, I often ask people, just focus on the LTM. We can have a great quarter. Because it just happened to be, you know, we got we had a finished a project, then we're able to book all the revenue from one big quarter, and then it'll be down the next quarter. But that's not because the business is worse the next quarter. It's just, it's just the timing of of the large projects. So, so that's one thing I always tell people look at it over a longer term than a quarter, don't, you know, judge the quarter, you know, each quarter results uh, to indicate a trend, you got to look at a little bit longer term than that.
0: The fun part about being a public company, right? The
1: quarterly. Yeah, that's the quarterly. right. The quarterly. Got, quarter, got, got, quarter, gotta, yeah. gotta love that part.
0: Um, <laughs> so, you know, another question that I ask everybody on here, you know, just playing devil's advocate. You know, in your opinion, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks to to achieving some of the goals that you're hoping to uh, get to? Not just for this year, but moving forward. Yeah, it's it's
1: the, I mean, the challenge we have always had and it's less of a challenge now, but it used to be. I mean, you think about it. Um, energy efficiency and carbon emission reduction is not mission critical, right They can keep running their business. So if there's difficult times, listen we we tend not to be cyclical at all, a because we uh, you know we focus on food and beverage and pharmaceutical and they're they're counter cyclical uh, or uncyclical. But if for any reason you know people decided that uh, reducing carbon is not important anymore. Uh, that would obviously be a risk. That would be a risk for us. Uh, we still deliver great projects, you know, We, whether they're counting on the carbon or not, uh, you know, we're reducing their energy costs um, and we're delivering projects with, you know, compelling paybacks. But if there isn't that drive, you know, to be more green or reduce carbon, uh, then that, that would be a, a risk to us. I don't see that risk in the future for the foreseeable future. But that, that would be if there, if for whatever reason, people don't care about reducing carbon anymore, that would reduce a portion of our business for sure.
0: Very good. And you know, you mentioned that the company is, I I think according to your most recent uh, financial report is company's profitable. You know, what's, how do you envision maintaining profitability while also still focused on the growth that you're probably hoping to achieve?
1: Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great question, Bob, because that is a challenge for us. I mean, we at the end of the day, we're a people, a business, um, and we're a technology business. Um, you know, so some companies grow by, you know, building a new plant, which they can capitalize, it doesn't hit their bottom line. We grow by adding people, doing R&D and developing new projects, that all hits the bottom line immediately. So it is a challenge, but we're pretty prudent. Um, so we do want to continue growing while maintaining profitability. So we're, we're, it's just measured growth, you know we we grow by adding salespeople and engineers, and that's basically what we are, right? you know if forty five percent of of the company's employees are are engineers doing engineering work, forty five percent are salespeople, many of whom are also engineers and ten percent of men roughly. So we grow by adding more salespeople and engineers, but they don't pay for themselves for the first couple of years, often it takes them a while to get up to speed. So if we were just to all of a sudden double the workforce, double the sales, the sales force and double the engineers, that would hit the bottom line. So we're a little bit more measured. Um, you know, we want to maintain our profitability as well as as grow. Having said that, if we wanted to stop growing, we could increase the profitability immediately. Right. Just stop adding people because we add people every, every year. You know, so stop adding people and the profitability would go up. But of course, that's not in the best long term interest of the company. So it's really just sort of being measured in that in, in your growth.
0: I mean, do you have do you feel that at this stage you you can be selective on the projects you take or are you kind of also in that stage of like, <clears throat> all right, multinationals coming to us. It's just like, you know, OK, we have this. Like, yes. You know, like you're in that mode still.
1: Um, it depends on the customer, actually. So, you know, we have some very good customers which are very loyal to us. Um, And, you know, we'll largely do, if they want us to do something, we'll probably do it. But if there's other customers, if it's an iffy project, no, we'll, we we have to be very selective. We we are selective. Um, Like I said, we don't want to do, you know, one of my favorite sayings is, you know, the demand for free engineering is unlimited. So, people always want us to do, you know, develop a project for them. Why not? If it doesn't cost them anything, but that's not our, that's not our business. So we have to be selective. And even though we make a little bit of money and they pay us for the, the project development agreements, that's not our business. And so we are very selective in those projects. We only do project development agreements that we think are, are going to turn into to, uh, to good projects for us and for the customer. Very good. So, yeah, we do have to, I mean, that's more and more so now, you know, a few years ago, less so, but now, uh, given the, uh, the activity, given the interest, given all the projects we're working on, we have to be selective.
0: So I'm going to ask you a question. You feel, you don't have to answer this if you want. Cause I know that, you know, you know, are president, CEO, you know, I'm assuming you, you know, what, what I'm just for, just so that people know, like how much do you own of the business?
1: Just not going. much, not much, okay. but a significant amount for me. So, I'm at almost, um, uh, almost 7 million shares. Uh, I'm probably the second largest shareholder, um, but almost all of that has been purchased in the open market. So I mentioned to you the company you know, and the technologies that virtually all the technologies that we own now were founded back 30 years ago, at least. So those founders are all gone. So we have a professional management team, a professional board, all the shares that are owned by both board and management uh, were purchased in the open market with their own funds. Um, You know, I have a few options that I exercise, but the majority of the shares I just I just purchased in the open market. So so the management and the board don't own a lot. It's getting close to 10 percent. But everything, like I said, everything that they do own wasn't gifted to them. Wasn't uh, it was all purchased. So, uh, you know, I believe in it. You know, it's 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 a meaningful amount, meaningful investment for me. So
0: absolutely. And, And that gets to my my question in that, you know, what does, a, I'm not saying that the goal is to get to this point and then get acquired. You're, you know, I'm just assuming you're trying to, you know, you want to build this for the long term, you know, be around for three to five years, continue to grow and grow and grow. But I mean, we've seen a lot of takeovers recently for Canadian tech uh, micro caps right now. You know, what does, what does a potential acquire look like even for
1: thermal energy? It's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, there is companies that are starting to show like that, but right now there isn't uh there isn't a big company that we're aware of that's doing exactly what we're doing but there's more and more companies are getting into the field so there's it would be some traditional energy efficiency type companies that are operating um a lot of them are out of Europe um so it would be like an esco an esco like um type business and so that's why I say we're you know but I also think we have spent a lot of time looking at what's out there um because we see these other you know over the years we've seen, other technologies that are similar to us, we sort of see them in the marketplace, um, and so we've spent a lot of time trying to get to know those companies. And we we're surprised most of them are smaller than us, um, but there is a few companies out there that are starting to uh, to get into this this sector. And it's really anybody that's doing energy efficiency projects at uh, at um, an industrial level rather than a institutional or residential very good.
0: All right, my final question for you today cuz you've you've answered all of them. <clears throat> really do appreciate that. So, uh, you know, my final question is, you know, in your opinion, where do you see the company in 3 to 5 years? Where would you like to see it in 3 to 5 years? And what would you say are some of the inflection points that'll get you there?
1: Um, you know, I'm a I'm a little bit boring. It's it's just continue growing the way we have in the past. I think we've established Proven ourselves to be, we can grow very effectively on an organic basis. So to me, in three to five years, it would be we continue to grow organically at that 20 to 30% compounded annually every year. And we have a few more acquisitions, uh, a couple more acquisitions done and we're, you know, a, a much bigger company. Um, there isn't really an inflection point because we've got a proven strategy. we're proven it we just want to execute it now. so just keep doing what we've been doing, what we proved we could do for those five years from 2015 to 2020, just take off you know continue on where we left off and and continue growing from there. We're almost now as I said we're almost back to that 25 million dollars in revenue. We're, our LTM is 23 million. our LTM EBITDA is 2.4 million our LTM net income is 1.4 million. so we're we're almost back. Back there, we just want to keep going. Um, so it's it's basically more of the same. Continue growing aggressively, organically, and uh, and do a couple more acquisitions every. Do an acquisition every couple of years.
0: Very good. All right, well, Bill, with that, where can our audience go and find more information on Thermal Energy International?
1: Of course, www.thermalenergy.com Yeah, is is the place to go for sure.
0: Awesome, Bill. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe, and I look forward to our next update.
1: Thanks so much Bob it's been a, it's been a pleasure thank you